Hey there, everyone. My name is Ari, and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. Now, I don't know if you guys have any Marylanders in your life, besides me, of course. But one thing about us, we are crazy proud of our state. Heavy on the crazy. We put our state flag on anything you can think of. And there's so many stores here that sell literally only Maryland state flag branded goods. And they are booming. Let me tell you guys, lucrative, lucrative businesses right there. So of course, I'm going to cover another amazing Marylander on my podcast. I also want to shout out a friend who inspired me and who basically told me this would be a great person to cover. I've been thinking about it and I was like, why not? So let's get right into it. Oh, and I love suggestions. So feel free to send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook, you know, to send me some of your own suggestions of inspirational people. I want to hear it. I love it all. So the individual we are learning about today is another significant historical figure who was pivotal in creating social change in our society. Social change that we are still living in today. This person grew up in the worst of circumstances, constantly beaten down and forced to believe that they were not worthy of basic human courtesy and respect. In spite of this, they rose above their plight to become one of the most respected statesmen in the history of the United States. This individual was an intellectual, a writer, an abolitionist, and an amazing orator, among so many other outstanding things. Not to mention, he was reportedly the most photographed American man of the 19th century. How does one even get that accolade? Amazing. So we will be covering the scholar, the stately, the savior, Frederick Douglass. This is part one of the two-part Frederick Douglass series. So let's get right into it. Frederick Douglass was born around February 1818 on a farm in Talbert County, Maryland. Although Frederick would change his name several times later in life, his birth name was Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey. Sadly, as was the norm for enslaved children, Frederick was taken away at birth and not permitted to be raised by his mother. Instead, Frederick was raised by his grandmother, who had the responsibility of taking care of the children as his mother worked. Frederick's mother was a field hand on a plantation that was more than 10 miles away. A truck like this would have been difficult in that time period with the best of resources, but was nearly impossible for an enslaved woman in her circumstances. Frederick was only able to meet his mother rarely due to the distance. She would pass away when Frederick was only seven years old. Frederick did research his mother's beginnings in adulthood and learned that she was the only African-American who could read in the entire Talbot County area. Learning tidbits like this make it all the more rewarding that Frederick would follow a similar extraordinary path as his mother. Around the age of six, Frederick was moved to another plantation in the area. This plantation was much larger than Frederick's previous plantation and housed a lot more enslaved children. This plantation was more akin to a little town than a farm. 
Frederick began having to compete for food and resources as there just wasn't enough to go around. After spending a bit of time at this plantation, Frederick was then sent to live with the relatives of his first owner, a couple with a child living in Baltimore, Maryland. Upon arrival, Frederick was instructed that he was to help care for and raise the couple's young son. A happy consequence of this was that the mother taught Frederick to read right beside her own son. When the father learned of these lessons, he immediately put a stop to it, saying that teaching a slave to write would spoil them. In Maryland, as with most states where slavery was active, teaching a slave how to read and write was literally illegal. Did Frederick allow this setback to stop him from maintaining his right to education? Absolutely not. Frederick became his own teacher, bartering with the poorer white residents for literacy lessons and reading school books that were left sitting around by his young ward. Frederick would live with this couple until his teenage years. In early 1832, Frederick was sent to live with yet another owner in St. Michael's, Maryland. His newest owner was not kind, known for mistreating his slaves and provided harsher living conditions for Frederick. It's incredibly difficult for me to say this verbiage as we are speaking about an actual human being. After living in St. Michael's for a bit, Frederick was leased to a local farmer who had made his name as a slave breaker. This was someone who made a living abusing slaves in order to subdue them, subjecting them to cruel punishments and psychological torture. Terribly inhumane treatment that was meant to literally break a person was what Frederick had to live through and endure for an entire six months. It was here that Frederick would engage in one of the most difficult fights for his life, both mentally and physically. As with any other day, the farmer tried to physically assault Frederick in order to make him comply. But in this instance, something unbelievable happened. And that is that Frederick fought back. This was quite the shock for the farmer, and the man became locked in an intense struggle. After all was said and done, it was Frederick who emerged victorious. Frederick and the farmer both came away from that fight completely changed. From that day forward, the farmer did not lay another hand on Frederick. This is when Frederick learned the true value in fighting for what you believe in. After leaving the abusive farmer, Frederick ended up on another plantation owned by William Freeland. This living situation was much more ideal compared to Frederick's previous home, but his heart stayed the same. Frederick wanted his freedom, and he was going to get it. Meanwhile, while at the Freeland Plantation, Frederick had started a school teaching African-American children writing and reading literacy. While he was doing what he could to help those around him, Frederick was planning his escape with a few other men to Pennsylvania. Regrettably, this plan was found out, and Frederick, along with everyone involved, was arrested. Although this situation could have turned out disastrously for Frederick, it actually was a blessing in disguise. Frederick was sent back to live with the couple and the young son, whom with Frederick had first learned how to read and write. Frederick arrived in Baltimore and began working at a local shipyard. This was an enormous feat, as working for a shipyard meant that Frederick received a working man's wage. Insanely, Frederick was required to give his wages to his owners and would then receive a small percentage back. 
With Frederick returning to Baltimore, he re-entered the local Black community and began to make connections. It was here that Frederick would meet his future wife, a free-born African-American woman named Anna Murray. They would later on have five children together. One upside of his current living situation was that the couple that owned Frederick allowed him the ability to move about the city with limitations. One night, Frederick attended a religious meeting that required him to postpone paying his weekly wages to his owners. When Frederick returned home, he was threatened, scolded, treated like a child who had committed a heinous act and needed to be disciplined. This exchange did nothing but spur Frederick to again seek to free himself from his captors. Around September 1838, Frederick was finally able to escape by impersonating a sailor and using fake documentation to travel away from Baltimore. Frederick traveled by ship to Wilmington, Delaware, took another steamboat to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and finally a train to New York City. Frederick traveled over land and seas to reach his freedom, all the while risking capture and certain death. Although the North was considered a free land, it was not necessarily a haven for slaves escaping to freedom. There were many hunters who traveled to New York City just to capture fugitive slaves for the bounty money. While trying to maintain a low profile, Frederick changed his last name from Bailey to Johnson. Thankfully, Frederick was also assisted by a fellow African-American abolitionist named David Ruggles. Frederick's wife arrived in New York City a few days later, where they would be officially married. After getting married, the couple moved on to New Bedford, Massachusetts. This was a safer location than New York City, and it offered Frederick an opportunity to use the skills he'd acquired while working in the shipyard in Baltimore. Frederick and his wife were able to live with another couple, the Johnsons, while in New Bedford. It was at this junction that Frederick decided to change his name again, as the last name Johnson was much more prevalent in the New England area. Frederick changed his last name to Douglas after a suggestion by his current roommate, who had seen the name in a Sir Walter Scott poem. Frederick was eventually able to find work in the area, but not in the shipyard as he'd imagined. Due to blatant racism at the time, Frederick was not able to work as the white workers refused to work alongside African-American workers. Instead, Frederick was able to find work as a common laborer, earning his first monies as a completely free man. The Massachusetts area had a strong abolitionist movement, and Frederick discovered an abolitionist newspaper called The Liberator. In 1841, Frederick decided to attend the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society Convention. While at the convention, a gentleman by the name of William Coffin invited Frederick to speak to the attendees after having heard Frederick's stunning oratory skills in New Bedford. Frederick's speech was an absolute hit, and he was promptly recruited to join the group. It can truly be said that Frederick was an abolitionist his entire life, but he began to travel and spend his time promoting after joining the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society as well as the American Anti-Slavery Society. The belief of the American Anti-Slavery Society was that slavery was a moral wrong that should be eradicated through nonviolent means and education. Frederick was particularly strong on promoting the nonviolent aspect of resisting slavery. 
1843, Frederick attended the National Convention of Colored Citizens in Buffalo, New York. While there, another African-American abolitionist named Henry Highland Garnett gave a speech with the central theme of slaves having a violent uprising against their owners. This was a controversial declaration and one that sparked a fierce debate between Frederick and Henry. Frederick made it clear that he did not support such a notion or any plan of action that insinuated or required violence. Consequently, Frederick's strength in his beliefs put him at odds with those who looked just like him. Other African-American abolitionists were very much in favor of the idea of an uprising, putting Frederick as the odd man out. Although his beliefs were not universally liked or accepted, this did not prevent Frederick from being vocal about them. It's difficult to stand up for what you believe in, but even more so when the people who are supposed to be your allies become your opposition. Frederick's strength of character, his unending curiosity, and intelligence, so much can be said for the fire that was inside Frederick Douglass. Frederick had the almost magical ability to connect with the crowd and impart a piece of himself, his passion for peace, education, and freedom for all. Enough that people of all colors would travel far and wide just for a chance to hear him speak. To be able to command a room in that manner requires a degree of self-assurance that we could all aspire to. I'm going to end part one right here, as this is really a jumping off point for Frederick's skyrocketing career. Just as a reminder, Frederick was born enslaved, beaten, abused, degraded, beyond belief. It was illegal for him to even learn how to read and write to possess basic literacy skills. He had now, at this point in his life, become one of the most renowned orators of his time spreading the word about his experiences, educating others, helping to relieve the pain for generations after him. Frederick took what was given to him and molded it into something fierce, resilient, and tough. We'll continue his amazing story in part two as Frederick is just getting started in his outstanding legacy. So you can find Made of Metal Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Made of Metal Podcast all together. And that's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. If you'd like to help me improve this podcast to bring you guys better and more content, please feel free to donate at buymeacoffee backslash Made of Metal. You can find the link in my show notes as well. If you'd like to support another way, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And again, thank you so much for listening and the support. I am truly grateful for such an amazing audience, and I love sharing these stories with you. As always, lovelies, bloom where you are planted. <laughs>